0: Guys, we turn to Luke chapter 24, we're going to start in verse 13. Let's go before the Lord and just ask Him to uh, bless our study and grant us some understanding. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, with many many things on our mind, many different things that um, we interact with in, in, in our lives, And Lord, we want to put all that aside and, and, and come and focus on you. And as we give you our hearts in worship, Lord, we, we ask that you would take our hope. And I title it that because I know that discouragement is one of those things that's not if it comes. It's when it comes. Because discouragement is a, is a big enemy for us. It, it, it's, a, it's a great hurdle, and it's a great obstacle, especially in our spiritual walks. Discouragement causes things such as fear, anxiety, confusion, sadness, anger, and it could just plain cause us to give up, quit, or leave. It's literally the opposite of being encouraged. That's what discourage, discouragement is. And discouragement usually hits. When we're feeling pretty good about a situation, we're feeling pretty positive about something, we, we feel like we're doing it right or we're going about it right and someone comes along and our enthusiasm, Whether they say, hey, uh, you could have done this better, and you're like, I thought I was doing pretty good today. I'll never forget a uh, misplaced comment that I made. I was on a retreat, and they had this guest speaker coming in from like a upper uh, New area of the states all the way down into Mexico. And I remember I woke up one day, the first day after he got out there, and I was like, How oh, do you look tired? Because I was thinking about the jet lag and everything. And well, I woke up feeling pretty good today, but now I'm not so sure. <laughs> I was like, oh, man. So, I mean, that's just a simple way of of I mean, discouraged. But um, think about it in terms of fitness, physical fitness. I mean, the number one reason why most people don't stick with a fitness plan is because of discouragement. The goal of CrossFit, maybe your goal in CrossFit was to lose weight. And then instead of losing weight, you get on the scale you're like, I gained 10 pounds? How's that possible? that we can gain muscle while becoming leaner. And, and so if, if your goal is to lose weight, also you see more weight, also you get discouraged. You're like, wait a minute, I'm going backwards. Um, there's many things that can cause us to become discouraged and lose hope of ever achieving our goals in cost fitness. I mean, all, all sorts of different things that can discourage us. I, myself, I, I have gotten off the fitness pathway. Um, because I got discouraged, I, I got sick every six weeks for about two weeks at a time and I would have to continuously rebuild the habit. And then in, in my, uh, I, I, I can't say later years, in, in, in my middle years, I was trying to get back into running, and I'm finding out that, uh, you know, when your knees have a certain amount of mileage on them, it's just harder. Because I want to go back to how I remember I was. I used to run six miles a day, no problem. I'd, I'd be done with that and I'd be like, okay, let's go for a walk, I don't care. And now it's like if I had run for like a mile, I've got to sit down for the next three days. So discouragement, as I said, is the greatest enemy for ourselves. Not only physically, but also spiritually. Spiritual discouragement comes when we lose hope, when we lose confidence. You see, Luke, here in chapter 24, is going to end his gospel with an account. Giving us an example of two disciples who become discouraged. In their discouragement, they're heading down the road. And along the way, they encounter the risen Lord Jesus. And he helps them find their hope again. And I want us to look at this account, and I want us to figure out. And, and I believe that the Lord wants us to know, when we lose hope, where do we find it again? How do we get back that hope? How do we get out of that discouragement? Because that's the hardest thing, right? Once you're discouraged, you're trying to encourage someone who's discouraged. You tell them, that's okay, we'll get it next time. I like, no, you won't. That's all right, you'll do better next time. No, I won't. It'll be brighter tomorrow. No, I won't. That's what discouragement is like. And, and, and we can get discouraged and trying to encourage someone that's discouraged as well. But I believe that when we come to God's word, and what he's going to show us this morning, is that his word has all the hope and encouragement that we need. And so if you'll join with me, starting in verse 13 of Luke 24. It says, Now that same day two of them were on their way to a village called Amos, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place, And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. So then he asked them, what's this dispute you're having with each other as you're walking? So they stopped walking and looked discouraged. And the one named Cleopas answered him and said, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem that doesn't know the things that happen here in these days? What things he asked them. So they said to I The mean, things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. You know, he was, he was a prophet, powerful in action, speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders had him over to be sentenced to death and he crucified him. Well, we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb. And when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found that, just as the women said, that they didn't see him. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? In the beginning, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them of things concerning himself and all the scriptures. They came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going on further. They urged them, stay with us. It's almost evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. But he disappeared from their sight. they said to each other, Weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? So that very hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those gathered together with them. And they said, The Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. then they began to describe what had happened on the road, and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. And as they were saying these things, he, Jesus himself, stood in their midst, and he said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and terrified, and thought they were seeing a ghost. Why were you troubled, he asked them, and why do you doubt? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and feet, that it is I, myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, blood- as you can see I have. And having said this, he showed them his hands and feet. But while they were still amazed and in disbelief because of their joy, he asked them, Do you have anything to eat? And so he gave a piece of broiled fish, he took it, and ate in their presence. And he told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead the third day. And repentance continues. You stay in the city until you're empowered from on high. And then he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was carried up into heaven. And after worshiping him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple, praising Here, they start off as hopeless disciples. We've all gone to a point where we're hopeless, right? We have a, a fickle faith. When discouragement comes, we become hopeless. We start, oh, woe is me, thing. I was going to recover all the verses of when they were walking on the road. We're going to look at verses 12 through 24 as we go through it. And um, this is the discouragement of the disciples. I want us to see it. That same day that the empty tomb was discovered, two of the disciples of Jesus are walking down the road to Emmaus. They're not one of the eleven, but they're going down the road. Emmaus is about seven miles away from Jerusalem. And the belief is that these men were either from Emmaus or from beyond there. And as they walked on the seven-mile journey, they're discussing everything that had taken place. In fact, we see that they were discussing and arguing those things. Now, I'm going to geek out just a little bit on the Greek. There's no test at the end of this, so you don't have to worry about it. But the word discussing in the Greek is homileo. And when you take a, a course on preaching or teaching, you have to take what's called homiletic. And that's the art of preaching and teaching. And and it's where preachers learn the discipline of it. And so the language here that these guys are discussing at length and presenting well-thought-out arguments, preaching at each other, what has taken place. And it's at this point that Jesus just kind of comes near as if you're ever walking along the road and someone kind of matches your speed and comes up alongside you and just starts walking with you. In this day and age, it would kind of freak us out, right? We're always on watch. We always got to watch our sit, see who's behind us and everything. But in those days, it was great to have travelers who would come and join you because the bigger the group, the safer the group. So they thought nothing of it as he came up. And so we see that Jesus walked along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing that this guy was Jesus. So after walking with them for a while, and he ate language suggest that Jesus was listening for a while before he started talking. He said, what's this dispute you're having with each other? And the disciples stopped walking and they, and they, and they, it, they looked discouraged. Current events caused the disciples to become discouraged. And that's a truth for us. Current events can cause With the way that the elections went, with the way that the country's going, there's many things that can cause us to become discouraged. And then we see that Cleopas, one of the men, spoke up and he asked Jesus, and he kind of asked him this uh, rhetorical question Are you like the only person in the world who doesn't know what's going on in Jerusalem that doesn't know what happened here? And then we see that Jesus said, Of course I know he's a And so the men share what they know. And sometimes we get discouraged in what we know because of what we don't know. And so the men share what they know about the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. They said he was a prophet. He was powerful in action and speech before God and the people. They know that it's the responsibility of the chief priests and the leaders who handed Jesus over to sentence and sent him to death. They know that Jesus was crucified. say something, something important for us to see. They say, but we were hoping. Not in the case, they lost all hope. They said, we were hoping. They no longer had hope. They were no longer encouraged. They were not discouraged. They believed that Jesus would be the one who would redeem Israel, but no, no longer did they think that he could or that he would. Even though after the third day, some of the women went and found the tomb empty. They even said, hey, they found the tomb empty. Still didn't register in their mind what was going on. And it says that they never found his body. And they, they, they reported seeing angels. Still nothing registers. Even though some went to the tomb and they also didn't find the body of Jesus. And essentially what's going on is in their minds, Jesus is still dead. And that means they're without hope. Because their hope was Their hope in Jesus died with him on the cross. And so the indication here is that these men are headed back to Emmaus, back from where they came from, back away from the disciples, away from everything, away from the place where they ever heard the name of Jesus. There's many in their Christian walk that get to that point where something happens and they lose their faith in Jesus. Because of other people, other things, or because they just don't understand. They don't know the things of Jesus. They have a So, when they get discouraged, you know what they do? They say, this is no longer working for me. I'm going back to where I came from. Their discouragement show up our own discouragement, contrary to forgetting what we know about Jesus. Not knowing the things that we need to know about Jesus. Or not understanding the things of Jesus. And Jesus understood this. That's why... In, in order to find hope. You have to address their incomplete understanding. In order for us to find hope, we have to address our incomplete understanding. If you look at the Bible and you pick out a specific verse and you try to live your whole life by that one verse, you miss the context of the whole life You understand the way that things are supposed to work together. Now, they didn't have the benefit of the New Testament. The New Testament was being looked out before them and before their very eyes. They had the Old Testament to go to. So let's see what Jesus says now in verse 25, he said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And so beginning with Moses and all the prophets. He interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And then it says they came near to the village where they were going. And Jesus gave the impression, Okay, I'm, I'm going to just continue on the way. I have started. to be and that he was going to go further, but they urged him. They said, stay with us. It's almost evening. The day is almost over. And so he went in to stay with them, and it was as he reclined at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. And it says, then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. But then right away, he disappeared from them. And so they said to each other, "Weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road of and explaining the Scriptures to us. That very hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven, and those those with them gathered together. And they said, the Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. And so they, the guys from Emmaus, began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. So what we see here is that Jesus hearing a recount of things that happened Sponge, and on the surface it looks like a rebuke, right? He goes, how foolish and slow of heart you are. Or, how foolish and slow to believe you are. But, the indication of the original language says that Jesus' words are way more tender than that, way more caring, like way more loving than that. And he, it, it's as if he has a desire to give them understanding, and I want you to know that's true. Jesus has a desire to give us all understanding. And he says, essentially, you have the facts right, but you're missing the most important things. And we need to understand that when we get discouraged, it is possible to have all the facts right, but to understand them wrong. And so Jesus says, you're slow to believe, and other translations would say slow to heart. And what he's saying is this problem isn't your head, it's not what you know what you're trusting. It's what you believe. You see, it's easy to accept that one will redeem them coming in glory. But to think one who is defeated is the one who is victorious is absurd. Right? It goes all against human logic. And I think that's exactly why God chose to do it that way. They believe in the Messiah coming in glory they never for once thought that the Messiah had to come as a suffering servant. They never thought that he would have to suffer. Now, is Jesus going to come in glory? Yes. So their understanding wasn't wrong, but at the same time it was incomplete. So incomplete understanding leads to a lack of faith and hope. Didn't understand the concept of a suffering servant and a Messiah who must suffer for them to pay the penalty of sin. They thought the Messiah is someone who's going to come and defeat the Roman government and put Israel back where they are in their minds. So when Jesus died, they had a lot expectations. Judas understood this. Judas Iscariot is understood this. I believe that that is the main reason why he betrayed Jesus. He no longer believed because he thought Jesus was supposed to be this guy who was going to cause a revolution and free Israel. But when he learned that Jesus' plan was to die, he said, I'm not Jesus in order to show him that it was necessary. However, look at what he does. He begins with Moses and all the prophets. Now, that's the easiest way to say the Old Testament Bible. The main difference between the Christian Old Testament and the Jewish Old Testament is this. They have 24 books. We have 39. Not different. They just arrange the books differently. There's some that they join together, there's, and, and they also arrange it in a different order. And so there's several different ways that they refer to their to their Bible. There's the Tanakh. They refer to it as Moses and the Prophets. Or they'll also refer to it as Moses, the Prophets, and the Writings, which would be your, your wisdom books here, Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, and Ecclesiastes. But Jesus says, it says here that Jesus started with Moses and all the prophets. So he's using the entire Old Testament scriptures. And it says he interpreted them for the the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. That is something that you won't find a lot of today in, the, in what, what I refer to as squishy churches where they won't teach the whole council of God. They'll say, "Well, oh, we don't need the Old Testament. The Old Testament's not. No, no, no. The Old Testament always pointed to Jesus. It's not that the Old Testament was different, now there's a New Testament, now Jesus is a different God. It's all the same God, and it's all the same story of redemption. I want us to see from this one thing, your entire Bible is important to read, understand, and to know. All of it points to Jesus also. And so it says that he interpreted them, the things, and that word interpret is perfectly new of Again, you know, I'm going to geek out on you a little bit, because when you um, go and, and you take those classes to, to learn how to preach and teach and whatnot, there's a class called Urban Genetics, which is all about biblical principles and interpretation. It's the interpretation of Scripture, and what an awesome and wonderful exegesis or exposing of the Scriptures that they had to have from the one who wrote the Scriptures. Scripture in your Bible that does not point to Jesus. So he interpreted that meaning. He exposed the meaning already there. And he did what any great Bible teacher would ever do. Let the text speak for itself. Without adding any opinion. Any idea to it. Let's, I want to take a look at some the of them because I'm pretty sure that on a seven-mile journey, he had a lot more time than I do. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the very first prophecy of redemption, right after the fall in the garden, right after the curse, is proclaimed. God says, I will put hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, and he will strike your head, and you he will strike his heel. This is the prophecy of the Messiah coming from the woman who is Israel. Made to Abraham in Genesis 12, verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Is he saying they'll be blessed through Abraham? In one way, then he's really pointing to the Messiah who's going to come from the, from the seed of Abraham. Genesis 14, 18, it says nope that the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was a priest to God most high. And we know that Jesus is a priest of the order of Melchizedek. We learn that in the Hebrews. In Genesis chapter thirty-two, verse twenty-four, we—it's not there. I don't know why that one didn't show up. It's going to jump all the way to Psalms. It's going to miss a few. of them. Anyway, Genesis thirty-two, verse twenty-four, it says Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. This is when Jacob got the limp in his leg as you wrestle with the angel of the Lord, which we later find out is this, In Genesis 32, verse 28, your name will no longer be Jacob, it will be Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Does this mean that he can wrestle God and, and make him submit? No. It just means that he held on to God waiting for a blessing. That's what God desires of us, that we would hold on to him so hard, saying, bless us. We know that the scriptures talk about the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus is the lion. We know that the voice from the burning bush was Jesus. The Passover lamb speaks of Jesus. In fact, when John, the Baptist, sees Jesus coming, he says, Behold, the lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. Numbers 21. When they're out in the wilderness and they, they complain against God, and like God causes a, a plague of snakes to come across them. And when they get bit by a the snake, They'll die just crafted a bronze stick, put it up on a, on, a, on a cross, lifted it up, and if they were to look at it in the faith, they would be saved. You know, it's funny, it doesn't say so in there, but I almost guarantee that there are some present. If I look at the Bible, he say, I can't believe that. And they died. There's a prophet who's coming greater than Moses. That's Jesus. When Joshua stands and all of a sudden he's confronted by the Joshua said? He said, Are you for us or against us? Neither. That's when we learn that God's not on your side, but you better make sure you're on God's side. In Ruth, we learn about a cleansed redeemer. Then Jesus takes him to the son of David, who's a king greater than David. Psalm 22 talks about the suffering servant, the suffering Savior. Psalm 23 good shepherd. And then Isaiah 53. Oh, I didn't help. <laughs> Isaiah 53, it says, Yet he himself bore our sickness, and he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted, But he was pierced because of our rebellion, and crushed because of our iniquities, punished him, for our peace was upon him, and we are healed by his wounds. 62 weeks, these are the 70 weeks of Daniel, right? After the 62 weeks, the anointed one, the Messiah, what does it say, will be cut off. But we know that uh, Israel wasn't looking for their king at the appointed time anyway. If they had followed Daniel's prophecy, they, they would have known when exactly the Messiah was coming. And that's why Jesus said outside of Jerusalem said, If only you had known the day of your visitation, they could have known down to the day. Zechariah 99 then talks about what happens next. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble, and riding on a donkey, on a colt. The foal of a donkey. That's when he presented himself as the Messiah. That literally is the first advent. It's not when Jesus was born, it's when he presented himself as. Spirit of grace and prayer on the house of David and the residents of Jerusalem. They will look at me on whom they pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly for him as one weeps for a firstborn. See, the prophets Paul spoke of a Messiah would be pierced, of a Messiah would be cut off. And so as they came near to the village, Jesus gave the impression that he was going on, and instead they urged him, Stay with us, stay with us. You ever had somebody who just like, gets you going on the scriptures and, and you don't want them to ever leave. You're like, let's keep talking. That was what it was like with Jesus. And so, Jesus accepted the invitation. Jesus always accepts the invitation. I want you guys to know that. You invite Jesus to spend time with you, he always accepts that invitation. And as he entered in the house, this is amazing. Jesus didn't take the place of a guest. Open and gave it to them. It says their eyes were open and they finally recognized him as Jesus. And many say, oh, it's in the way that he blessed and broke it that maybe Jesus just did it in a specific way and it was specific to him. I can see that as plausible. I tend to think that it's more because in the action of taking a blessing and lifting up his hands, he exposed the holes in his wrists. and then he disappeared from them. I don't understand why that happened, but look at what they did after that. They, they started talking to each other said, Our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us and explaining scriptures to us. Does not your heart burn as you go to the Word of God? And he starts feeding you from it, and he starts teaching you from it, and you start getting understanding from it. Doesn't your heart burn when you lose the passion for God most often? It's because we're not in the Word of God. So, as, they, as they're in the Word and as they're talking about Scriptures, and that Scripture is permeating every part of what they're doing, what they're doing, they go you know, from discouraged hearts to burning hearts. Paul says in Romans ten seventeen, faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. My brothers and sisters in Christ, my prayer is that when you are discouraged, that find hope would go to Jesus, and you would go to His Word. You wouldn't go to somebody to try and cheer you up. You wouldn't go anywhere else, but you would go to Jesus, and you would go to His Word. And so now their hearts are burning, they're on, on fire within them, and it must not saying they got up immediately, and they walked back to Jerusalem. This isn't in the day where they had cars. It's a seven-mile walk. And it says that as they got to Jerusalem, they found the eleven, and all those with them. And so then they and they're to telling, Jesus appeared to Peter. They call him Simon there because he's still in trouble for, for dissolving the Lord. But they said that he appeared to Peter. And I want you all to know this. I hear from so many people that they're like, oh, I want to go to Jesus, but I feel like he's so busy with everybody else. I see from this place in Scripture that Jesus Christ. but I know that he can do that and I know that the scriptures show that he does that. It shows that as he's with his disciples many times in the Gospels, he already knows what's coming up because he's already been there. He's not too busy for us. Don't ever think that you're taking up Jesus' time. He's waiting for you. He wants to spend that time with you. Our encouragement, our hope, comes from the risen reality of Jesus. In verse 36, it says, as they were saying, these things." look at my hands and feet and see that it is I, myself, touch me and see because a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And having said this, he showed them his hands and feet, and walked, but while they were still amazed and in disbelief because of their joy, he says, do you have anything to eat? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. They told them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So as they're they're still talking about all the things, we saw Jesus, we saw Jesus. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is right there with them. In Christ Jesus. There's peace now because Jesus has risen from the dead. But the disciples were not experiencing peace. They were startled and terrified because they believed that they were seeing a ghost, though the original word is a spirit, um, They use the word pneuma, which if you ever do a theology of the spirit, it's called pneumatology. Jesus responds in a way to call them and bring them a better focus in their fears. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your hearts? Look not at your fears and your doubts. He says, look at me. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. Touch me. See that I'm not a ghost. I have flesh and bones. And then he also adds something else, which I find humorous, but I also get the point of, he says, do you have anything to eat? first came out. You remember Slimer? In the fridge? Just eating all that food and what does it do? It just falls to the floor, right? Because he's a ghost. Jesus eats the fish in front of him. And I, and I picture Jesus eating the fish and the disciples are going, I'm trying to see if they could see, like, is he really eating it? Is it a magic trick? What is it? But this is what John writes in his epistle first John. time. He says, What was from the beginning? What we have heard. What we have seen with our own eyes. What we have observed. And what we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That life was revealed and we have seen it and we testify and we declare to you. That the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. Big, fancy, poetic way of saying Jesus is risen. we stop stop this uh, discouraged thinking that says, I'm in this because God doesn't love me. I'm in this because God is mad at me. I failed Jesus, and so now he's getting back at me. Jesus didn't die on the cross so he could get back at you. He didn't die on the cross so that he could be vengeful with you. He died on the cross so that he could have mercy and grace upon you because of his great love for you. And when we back to the scars. Because you know this, Jesus could have had any resurrected body he wanted, but he chose to keep the scars forever. And Paul even says, the Gospel message, that's our hope. We hold on to the Gospel message. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the Gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand. And by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. He says, For I passed on to you is most important what I also received. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to Scriptures. Paul's still, he's writing the New Testament right now. This is important, He's still using. The Old Testament, Jewish Bible, according to Scriptures, Christ would come and die for the sins. Christ would also be raised from the dead, according to Scriptures. And then look at what Paul writes for the first eyewitness testimony. It says that Jesus appeared to Cephas, that's also Peter, the rock, then to the twelfth. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, some are all asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last is one born at the wrong time. He also appeared to me. What he's saying here is there's many witnesses who have seen Jesus. So you can go and talk to them. At this point in writing this, anybody could have challenged what Paul wrote just by going and talking to people. He's trying to lay down the eyewitness testimony that would be acceptable even in today's court of law. John in his gospel records the same thing happening in the upper room where Jesus comes and he says, "Look at my body." But this is more specific on Thomas. Remember Thomas? We remember Thomas as what? Doubting Thomas. He'll never outlive that name. In heaven, I'm pretty sure we'll call him Doubting Thomas. But Jesus appeared to Thomas. He said, "Put your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it to my side." especially for us in this day and age. He said, because you have seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. That is our hope. Our hope is in the risen, resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul goes on and he tells us this is why it's our hope. He says, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection? If Christ is raised, well, we raised, right? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised not been raised. Our proclamation is in vain and so is your faith. There's no reason to believe in the Christian faith that Christ is not risen. And he goes on he says, But, as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, he's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, Adam, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man, Jesus Christ. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ will all be made what happened to this life, right? We live for the next life. It lasts longer. And then Jesus says, these are my words. I spoke to you. Everything written about me must be fulfilled. That's how God feels about his word. He doesn't make idle words. He doesn't make idle promises. Everything will be fulfilled. In Psalm 1610, it's a messianic Psalm It says, for you will not abandon me in Sheol. You will not allow your And so he had uh, one child named lo and one child named lo Ruhama. And one said, one said, you are not my people, and I am not your God. But he says, I will so assure in the land for myself, and I will have compassion on lo Ruhama, and I will say to lo you are my people, and he will say, you are my God. That's the promise of the restoration of the relationship. leads. Once we found the hope, once we get through the risen reality, our hearts are now overflowing with what we actually know. And that's the way that we should live as Christians, with our hearts overflowing. He says, You are witnesses of these things. And look, I'm sending you what my Father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you're empowered from on high. And he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he was carried up into heaven. And after worshiping them, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they're continually in the temple. praising God. He says, you are my witnesses of these things. A witness is something that you are, not something you do. As witnesses, Jesus says, I'm sending you what my Father promised. Literally sending it upon you with the languages that you'll be clothed, you'll be dressed in it. You'll be dressed in the Holy Spirit. That's what the promise is. And we get that promise from Joel. Chapter 2, verse 28. I heard this topic read out earlier in worship. It says, After this, I will pour out my spirit on all humanity, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will have dreams, and your young men will see visions. I will really even pour out my spirit on the male and female slaves in those days. This is the promise of God pouring out his Holy Spirit upon the world. In all Old Testament, you know what? They never had the Holy Spirit like we experience today. these things. Jesus promises power in this call as we go out. So we're not doing it in our own strength. We're doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we see what happens. Jesus, Jesus blesses them. And as he's raised up in heaven in the middle of his blessing them. And is it, what happens then? They see Jesus go and they again. No, their hearts are overflowing. Now they return with great joy We see this true in the Book of Acts. It says every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. Every day they broke bread from house to house and they ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. Acts five forty two says every day in the temple and also in various homes they continued teaching and proclaiming. like that, and all of a sudden you you, you learn how to go and replace your discouragement with great overflowing abundant joy. joy in the same life that everyone says is meaningless, is hopeless. They see us, they're like, why is it that you have hope? Let me tell you about Christ. Discretion is the greatest enemy to ourselves. We only overcome by finding and keeping our hope in Jesus. And there is a strength that comes from hope. In fact, the prophet Isaiah spoke of it. In Isaiah 40, verse 31, it says, those who hope in the Lord strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And this is what Paul said about hope. Romans 8, 24. Now in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. Because who hopes for what he sees? Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly await. by discouragement. maybe you're so discouraged you're considering going back on that road to a man You ask for it and he'll give you understanding. And James and Hezekiah writes and he promises, Any who lacks understanding, let him ask God. God who gives abundantly. He won't hold back He's not going to them and be like, Well, oh, I know you want understanding, but you can't have it. No, oh, he wants us to understand. When someone has a loss of appetite physically, that's usually an individual. spiritual loss of appetite. You're not hungry for the things of God. You're not hungry for the Word of God. That's also an indication of a spiritual problem. The way you diagnose it is: does your heart yearn and burn for the Word of God? If you're not in the Word, you feel like you're missing out the same as if you skipped a few days without food? Those scars are a great reminder of His love for you. It wasn't the nails that got Jesus on the cross. It was His love for you and me. When you also think about the scars on the... Jesus' hands and feet, also know that they remind us that this world is not what we look forward to. We do not get up every day joyful because we're in this world. Fighting in this world, Jesus died for us, and we have a hope in Him for when He comes back. There's coming a time when we're going to be in heaven. We're going to be free, not only from the punishment of sin, not only from the power of sin in our life, but also from the very presence of sin altogether. Something we have never experienced before because we were. Say no, stay with me. Draw near to Jesus. Invite Him closer. That's when the disciples knew Jesus. That Jesus was made known to the disciples in the breaking of bread. And so today, on the first Sunday of the month, we're going to partake of communion. I don't have my normal Easter communion people. (laughs) are headed out. That's always fun. So, Paul, he instituted the Lord's Supper before the church. He said, For I received from the Lord that which I also passed on to you. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. You drink it in remembrance of me. Let's say. And the reason we do that is to renew our hope. He says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's the idea that we believe that Jesus died, was raised again, and is coming again. And that's a promise from him. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you so much. you know, just a uh, discouraging it is, you know, that thing